0: Well, would you stay standing out of respect for God's word? you got your calisthenics on there. You're just getting to um, learn me, and then we pass you off to a new preacher. who will do it all different. Isn't that going to keep you on your toes? So I'm asking you if you would open up your Bibles. We'll start this evening in Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Ezekiel 37. We're going to read the first 14 verses. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Verse 4, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover your skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, So I spoke this message just as he told me, and suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons, and then I watched muscles and flesh form over the bones and the skin formed to cover their bodies. They were still and had no breath in them, verse 9. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind's. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Verse 10, so I spoke to the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become dry bones all hope is gone our nation is finished verse 12 therefore prophesy to them and say this is what the sovereign lord says oh my people i will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again and then i will bring you back to the land of israel when this happens oh my people you will know that i am the lord i will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return to your own land then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, tonight, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. you can have a seat. <clears throat> well, I want to thank you for our and enabling me to be here for the time that I am. This is my last evening message, and then tomorrow morning I will finish up my time. You are in good hands with Pastor Steve Deneff. He is one of the best when it comes to preaching. I am a fan of his, and you are in for a real treat. For those of you who've been here 15 years ago, you know exactly what I'm saying. It's a good week, can I get an amen? Amen. Now, with that being said, tonight we've been talking over the last few uh, nights what it means to be a water walker. How many of you decided you're gonna be a water walker or you are a water water walker, would you raise your hands? Water walkers change the world, do they not? Let me ask you this, if I were to say to you tonight, if I were to say to you tonight that in the 100 plus years of this camp and of this tabernacle that this very night would be the most powerful night of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in over a 100 years, what would your response be? Let me ask that again. If in fact tonight would be a historical moment where we saw God do something that we did not think possible, if not us, then who? And if not now, when? Does it have to be in the urban context? Does it have to be in a very populated context? It could happen right here, right now with you. The question is not if, the question is if you believe. And do you expect God to do something fresh and new in your life? This is one of those messages that I wanna share with you tonight that I'm I'm a little bit, uh, I I really, really work hard at my messages and then this is one of those that you preachers that preach, you kind of, you prepare it all and then it's all jumble. Does any preacher know what I'm talking about? And then there's preachers that say that simply because they never uh, prepared in the first place so that looks good. That's not what I'm about. With that being said, I I have a word from you from God. The first thing that I wanna say to you before I jump into this passage and for us tonight, that this could be the greatest moment in not only this camp's history, but in your life. I want everybody that's 30 years and younger to stand right now. If you are 30 years and younger, stay standing. 30 years and younger. This is what I want to say to you. Are you looking up here? If you're 30 years and younger, look straight at me. My first statement to you is this, in a very short while, you that are 30 and under will lead the greatest moment in the history of the Church of North America. You will lead the greatest history of the church in North America. I believe that with everything I have. My own daughter hears me say that to her every single moment. And you may not have all of the political power, and you may not have all the money, and you may not have all the buildings and all the experience, but what you will have is the most important thing is the call of God, the power of the Holy Spirit and the vision to do what God has called you to do and we are with you and we celebrate you regardless of what comes your way. Here's what you must understand. It may look a lot different as a matter of fact, the church is going to look different. It may not be as big, but it will be a moment if in fact, you are a lover of Jesus is that you will serve a church that there is no more a middle ground. You will have people whose hearts are ablaze. They will be, as I said in um, day one, they will all be in chair one or they will be cold. There will be no middle ground whatsoever and you will, in my opinion, prophetically speaking, usher the return of Jesus Christ. You will actually carry the baton of the last leg of the race. We celebrate you. Does anybody agree with me this evening? You can have a seat. That's the first thing that I wanted to say tonight. That's the positive note. And the reason why I say that, the second thing, these are just extra notes that God told me that I must say to you. The second thing that you must understand is why I said that is that what Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three says to us is now upon us. The great falling away, the apostasy, the turning away or whatever your translation says. I've always read that is in the tribulation or in an uh, end times where Christians will feel the pressure and turn away. I never read it in the context that while I was in this moment that we would see so many people turn from the faith. Does this make sense to anybody? I'll tell you one thing. It's one thing to read that hypothetically. It's another thing to live it in your churches, but more importantly, in your families. Peter and I were just chatting when my Michaela came up, and he said, nobody makes you prouder than your kids. I said, amen. Then I didn't pause, did I? And I said, nobody can hurt you deeper than your children because you love them more than you love yourself. Does this make sense? You see, when I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I discipled all three of my kids. They grew up overseas. They did ministry their whole life. We love Jesus, we're not a Jesus only, we're not a Sunday only uh, family. We talk about Jesus all the time, every day, praying about him, talking about him. He is a part of our every existence. Does this make sense to anybody? So when I told you that my youngest, who we adopted from Azerbaijan, in her last semester at Indiana Wesleyan says to me that I no longer believe and gave me a whole litany of why she has walked away from the faith. I cannot begin to tell you all the emotions that my heart felt in that moment. She could have told me anything else, but the one thing she could have crushed me on was exactly that. Can you imagine? All the, all the ministry I've done through my whole life and I've said publicly every single time I preach that my number one priority is my family and I want the Jesus that I actually carry around inside me to be so attractive that my kids would say, I want that. That's all I wanted in my life. I didn't have it as a kid. I wanted my kids to have that. I'm not even an emotional guy. And this is what I said to her. I said to her, Honey, parents do one of two things. They start guarding their heart and they don't even realize they emotionally pull away because it's so painful. Her and I looking at each other having coffee. I said, or they come over here and they completely walk away from what they believe and say what you believe is okay. And I said to her, your mom and I aren't going to do either one of those. We're not pulling away, and we're not changing what we believe. I never thought in my life I was going to have to do this dance. And i got to be honest with you, Morgan, I don't know how to do this dance. But I said, What have I said to you since you were a little girl? She goes, I know, Dad. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I could say could ever make you stop loving me. I said, that is the truth, but you can hurt me and you can stop the relationship, but that will never change. And you know what's so amazing about the story I told? I don't know why I've told you that, but I would say to you what I've found to be true is the great apostasy is on, the great rebellion, the great turning away, because my story is not unique Does this make sense to anybody? It is everywhere, which should enable all of us to put a little urgency on that Jesus scriptures declare these things to us so that we know it's going to be the greatest generation. But yet we see and understand that there's an amazing turning away today. And the third thing I would say to you this evening is that the great deconstruction is actually happening as I speak and scripture also said in 2 Timothy 4, 3, that I'll paraphrase, there will be those that some, at some point will come and they say, I can no longer put up with your biblical stuff. It doesn't match my culture. I want to drink their Kool-Aid and everything that you believe, I can no longer to believe. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to find somebody that speaks a whole lot better than you and they're gonna take scripture and they're gonna reconstruct it so that my ears can have exactly what I want. And that is happening at supersonic speed. And I say to you that what's so surprising to me about this third item is that as I look at this, I would say to you, I never dreamt that that would be my friends. I thought it was going to be all the other people. Does this make sense? Because I have a lot of friends all over the world. Now I'm in the moment where I don't, I don't assume anything about anybody. It's pretty sad, isn't it? So these things are on. It's on, man. I'm not just a man of passion and urgency because that's the way God made me. Because when I look at scripture and I look at where we're at, I'm like, are you guys awake and can you see it? I'm going to give an account before him. I'm not here to entertain. I'm not here to woo and wow you. I'm not the greatest preacher. I'm here to give you truth. It's your desire to say whether or not you will agree or disagree with it. The fourth thing that I would say to you is that Jesus told us that when all these things happening, Matthew chapter 24, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, when the love of most grow cold, when brothers and sisters turn away from one another and there's famines and great earthquakes, when all of these things happen and when they start to happen, it's gonna be really, really bad. And I'm telling you all this now because I love you. But when all these things happen, Jesus said, here's the good news. Simultaneously, 2414, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So on one hand, it's gonna get really, really bad. But on the other hand, the gospel will go forward. Those 30 sums that stood up will lead us to the final journey of watching and seeing and experiencing the return of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? The last thing that I would say to you is that I believe there's a sifting occurring right now in the church, a sifting that's occurring in the church. I'm reminded in John 12, 24, where Jesus talks about a kernel of wheat must fall down and die, and if it doesn't, it stands alone, but once it dies, falls and dies, it produces lots of life, and what I realize as I look at the church is that what we need to understand is that we are holding on, and I get why we hold on to things, because it has a lot of meaning, and it has a lot of history, and it has a lot of emotional connection to us, but what I realize is that the church as we know it is actually changing as I speak and God is sifting it out so that it will be a church that is primed to do exactly what the church needs to do in the moment that she needs to do it. And we can't fight him. We must listen to him. Does this make sense? I'm not here to declare to you what the church is going to look like. All I know is I see it happening and all I'm doing is saying, Lord, do it. Who am I to tell you how you should or should not do things? I just want to be on the front lines. Anybody with me? One of the things I've said to our church, I said, one thing you need to realize is that here's what's coming in North America. You will have, as we see the deconstruction and as we see the sifting in the church, you're gonna see a growth. This is not, this is my own opinion. You'll see a growth in what I would call the compromised church. You know what we call that around the planet? The state church. In China, in Russia, where they do exactly what the government says. And that will continue to grow in the compromise. But the biblical church will be a little bit smaller, but it will be powerful. Remember, I served 10 years in a restricted access country. I know that the church can survive and figure it out. Even matter of fact, it's more pure in that moment. The easier it is, the more difficult it is for us to be desperate for God. And he's now sifting us in and saying to you and I, he's saying to us, as you come back after three years, am I enough, am I enough? If everything else was taken, am I enough? You and I must answer that question tonight because what I believe is this, we are a church that is in survival mode. I've served in Detroit in an inner city I've served in Baku in a third world country. And what I say about both of those cultures that were similar is they were survival cultures. And when you're, a survival and you're in a survival mentality, all you think about is the next meal. All you think about is the next minute. You don't think about camp. You don't think about restaurants. You don't think about your retirement. You don't think about carpet and cars. You think about how to survive. And I would say to you, I believe the church is right there now. And if we stay in a survival mentality, we will get off of a mission mentality. May God help us. May he move us in the right direction. With that being said, when I look at Ezekiel 37, we look at a passage of scripture that many of us are familiar with. And this vision that God took Ezekiel on in a very, very low moment in a history where the most powerful statement in those verses was, they were people with no what? Hope, no hope, it's over with. They're in captivity. When you are a people of no hope, you are a dangerous people. This makes sense to anyone. And it's in that moment that we need the supernatural. There will be no man or woman that can get us out of it. There will be no plan or no program or no marketing event, or in any building, or any sermon, or any worship team, or any concert that's going to be able to do any of it. It's only going to be God that's going to be able to do this. That's where they were at, and that's where we're getting at right here and right now. You see, I'm, I'm passionate for let the dry bones live again. Anybody else? What you may not know about my life is that, as I said already, I wasn't raised in the church. I was born and raised in Marion, Indiana. I was a street kid. And in that experience, God did something pretty miraculous that has had ripple effects to this day, July 28, 1982. 40 years ago in that city, God poured out a spirit. And I'm the one of many products of that moment you call that we call that a revival it's not written in the books nobody talks about it but i lived it i experienced it i went to camp just like this i sat halfway back i heard about jesus for the very first time i came and knelt at the altar and as i because they said do you need god i said i don't even know if he exists but i'm so screwed up god if you're real show yourself to me And as I knelt down, all these kids came behind me and they put their hands on me and I was so unchurched, I looked at them and said, what are you guys doing? They said, we're praying for you. And do you know what happened? That's what my beginning experience of Christianity was all about. And here's the crazy thing about it. We then, from that camp experience, we were coming in two to three hours before the service. Well, before there was worship bands in 82, there was not a lot of worship bands. A guy named Dwight Robertson led us. He looked like Keith Green at the time, had a long beard. And he sat at the keyboard and just played. And we just came forward for three hours worshiping and praying, worshiping and praying. And then kids, the Holy Spirit would fall. Kids were running out because you either, when the spirit of God falls, you either run towards him or you run away from him. They laugh at me at my church because it's got a really, really big sanctuary and I run down the aisles, I do the benediction. You know why? I'm gonna touch the least the hands of the few people that are running like crazy to get out of our church. (laughs) Does this make sense? And from that experience, we came back to the city. Teenagers have you know, didn't know the Bible, we started doing all night prayer meetings and we made a hit list for all the people in our high school we wanted to see to come to Christ and we saw hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people getting saved in every capacity I don't have the time to share with you all over the place I will share one crazy story with you tomorrow morning when I talk about the Holy Spirit but in all of that what I remember was the little farmhouse right by this church called Lakeview where I was saved. And her name was Gracie Anderson. She was 76 years old back then. She's with Jesus now, hallelujah. She had one leg shorter than the other. She was from the Pilgrim Holiness, so she had a bun about this big. (laughs) Wore her dress and had her shoes cocked up this high so they get, and she came. And she came to my house the day that my mom and I only chose the one church because it was the large church and we didn't want anybody to see us. And to our surprise, she saw us. And I remember, I'll never forget it as, a, as I was, as a Tuesday night and we were sitting there watching television in, at Nelson Street and all of a sudden the doorbell rang and I looked out the window and even though I wasn't a church person, I knew what church people looked like. <laughs> and I looked at my mom and I said, mom, what are we going to do? There's church people out there. She said, son, this will make you a man. You answer that door. (laughs) (laughs) And there she was. And she invited me back to church. I said, well, ma'am, I'm not, I'm only 15 years old. My mom works on Sunday. She said, no problem. I'll come and get you. I come to know Jesus. We're having those all night prayer meetings. Guess who's having us gather in her farmhouse? But Gracie. And and for like three years, there would be twenty to thirty of us teenagers praying about three hours every Saturday night. And every time we, and this was my introduction to Christianity. I didn't know everybody was complacent and apathetic and could care less about prayer. I thought everybody was this way. (laughs) And every time I walked into her house, she had her Bible. And this is no lie. I would open up the door, and she goes, "Oh, do you feel it?" Oh, do you feel it? <laughs> Tonight is the night. Tonight is the night that God says he will pour out his spirit on all people. Do you feel it? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I want some of that. <laughs> and from that experience of what I would call revival, there are many people my age and their mid fifties and older that are all over the world today. Names that the father in heaven knows men and women that are already with Jesus, but it all happened in a small town that nobody believed anything could happen of, and God provided a miracle. I say, do it again. I don't know about you, but when anybody talks about revival, I get a little attitude. And you know why? Because inside of me, I'm like, I don't want you to tell me about the Asbury revival. I don't want you to talk to me about the first great awakening and the second great awakening. I want to read about it. That's my personality. I want to experience it. Right? It's cool to know all of that, but if we only know it here and we never experience it. And what I found out after those three years, and I, I went on my first mission trip, like what, like, I don't know, I was new Jesus like 11 months. Next thing I know, I'm in Taguza, Honduras. 17 years old. and I'm teaching 61 bilingual secretaries and I can't even pass my English class and here I am. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes. And this little girl grabs my leg. Remember, I'm from Marion. I didn't really see any beggars. And she's begging. And, I try, and she's beautiful. And I try to get her off and I'm uncomfortable. And I met with God right after that and I was yelling at him. I was living by myself trying to figure this whole thing out. And... I said to God, I was like, w- wh- what's up with this? Why, I learned that, we call that trafficking today. They didn't call that back in 1983. If she didn't get her quota, they would beat her, right? And I said to God, well, I don't get it. I thought I had it bad. Do you love me more than you do this little girl? Come on, God, answer up, man. You've got some tough questions going on here. And it was as clear as me talking to you, he said to me, Mick, I love you, I love that girl as much as I love you, but I have given you everything I've given you, not because I love you more, because I want the rest of your life to bless little girls like that. And then I see my Morgan in front of me who would've been exactly in that same spot. And I've lived through not only doing it, but living it out. I'm so far off from what I'm supposed to say. Let's just keep on going. What do you say? (laughs) So what is revival? We can intellectualize it. We can make a class on it. We can parse it out and tell you everything else. But Revival is basically when God revives and meets with his people in a way that changes us. And when God's spirit hits, guess what happens? You and I no longer think about the person on my right or my left. And you, don't, you stop thinking about like so many of you do. Well, all my stinking sin and what I did last night, all that stuff, all of a sudden you get God focused and God's glory shows up and God's power shows up and just scads of people come to know Jesus and the church starts to becoming the church that it's supposed to be. And there's this incredible amount of repentance of turning to God. I've seen it. All over the world I've seen it. I would ask us today, are we wanting some of that? Are we needing some of that for our families and for our mission and, and what we believe? How do I know according to this passage if my bones are dry, right? How do I know that my bones are dry? He says in verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel, they are, They are saying that we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. And I'm an optimist. They were way worse off than we are. But there are people that would put us in that category. But this nation had forgotten God. They were spiritual corpse. I remember with Dr. Wafahana, who used to, as as part of my church in Mosaic in Midtown, Detroit, She's from Egypt. She said, when her and I got together, she said, you know, for 20 years, I've been in a spiritual coma. I did everything right. I did all my duties. But when she had a revival in her life, my word, she was getting every book, sharing with all of her clients. She all of a sudden, when you get blessed by God, it's called the Abrahamic Covenant. this starts happening. It just flows. And you don't have to have all the Bible's verses memorized. And as I said about Peter the water walker, you don't have to be perfect. You just experience something. You can't, you can't hold it in. And the beautiful thing is, is in your imperfections, God's glory is seen all the more. That's, who make, that's what makes you who you are. All right, isn't it awesome that we're all Kirk uh, really weird and strange? God's glory is seen how do you know if your bones are dry? How did you get to this point? I got to say, after many years of ministry, there have been times I felt like I was, I'm Jeremiah the prophet, weeping and going, Oh God, how much longer? Any pastor know what I'm talking about? I'm not judging. I just feel a heaviness of my heart where you have preached your heart out into an obstinate and stubborn people, a religious people. A people that have so much head knowledge, there's nothing I can't woo you or wow you about. There's nothing I haven't said that you haven't heard before. I need the unction. Sound like an old good word? Here's what I would tell you. You know what I fear the most? Fear the most is that the blessing and the anointing of God is not with me or our church. The blessing and the anointing is the most important thing we need. And as I go across North America, we're like cookie cutter churches. We go through all of our programs. It's like clockwork. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't your church uniquely your church? (coughs) Shouldn't you somehow, some way, represent the place in which you find yourself? And isn't God creative enough to do it a little different in your place? That's when the blessing and the anointing of God is on us. And when we're all cookie cutters, we can go right through it all. And as we go through it all, guess what happens? We don't even know whether the Holy Spirit's there or not. Because we got so many good trained speakers and preachers. <coughs> and so much good with music, we missed it all. And I say to you tonight, have you, are you at a point where you feel dry? god feel distant, aloof, hard for you to worship? The Bible seem like it's not even a motivation for you to read? Are you rationalizing sin? You know what I tell all the people that I'm leading to Christ, especially people that are trying to get over addiction? I always say this to them. And there's, an, there's, an, there's an invisible line right here. And this invisible line right here, Here you are, you receive Christ, and the pull of the addiction and the sin is so strong, you feel it. You know what I'm talking about? You came to Jesus, He forgave you, but you feel the draw. This makes sense to anybody. And I say to them, but if you keep saying yes, step by step, what will happen eventually is that you will cross that invisible line, and now you're on this side. This is the beauty. As you keep surrendering, and Jesus in front of you, that pull is way more powerful than the sin that's behind you. Do we not believe that that's possible? Yes or no, church? Let me ask you again. Do we not believe that it's possible? What's causing the dryness in your life? We must first acknowledge that we have a need if we're ever going to get there. If the last three years said anything to us, it just basically showed us who we really are. We have to call it out for what it is. Isn't it so easy to blame everything else? I know in my relationship with my wife, I'm an expert at it. Come on now. She's trying to share with me about something about me and I'm like, whew, I'm pointing at her. Is this too deep for anybody here? You know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm telling you what, churches do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. There are brothers and sisters around the world, as you know, intellectually, if you've never experienced it, they're going through way more than you and I in the last three years. And they are amazing. They are amazing. And they are serving with everything they've got. You know what I like to tell people? I like to say this as my daughter was talking. I like to take people on a trip. I'll be in Africa in a week. And I take them on a trip and I bring them to one of the mega cities in Asia. Millions of people. I said, you want to feel like nobody? You think you're something? I'll put you on a corner in Asia with millions of people all around. And then you think your church is something. And the second thing is I will say to them, now look around. You'd be lucky if one person's ever heard about Jesus. And we say we believe this gospel's for everybody. Do we really believe that? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? I don't know. So my second question is not as what causes your dry bones, but can these dry bones live again? I say, yes. Does anybody else? Yes. He, asked, he asked him in the, in, the, in the vision, can these bones live again in verse 3? And he's like, great answer, God only you know. <laughs> Right, I, 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 I'm I, I'm just along for the ride here. You just tell me what you want me, what's the right answer? And he's saying clearly, I'm the one. Speak the word. Pastors, stand up. Pastors, stand up. And then he said this as he looked at the valley in verse 9 and he said, speak a prophetic word. Are we afraid of prophecy? I'll ask you again. Are you afraid of prophecy? Maybe you are. Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies that they may live again. I speak over each and every one of you. And I prophetically say, speak the word of God and believe that God can raise the dead and that you can begin what verse seven says, and the rattling bones shall start to live that you will be men and women that believe that God who has called you. I said it two nights ago, one of the greatest challenges to preachers is simply this, they're all gonna know whether you believe it or not. And once they know you believe it, they're willing to do whatever. And number two, you have to be the one that's willing to be the first in line. You live it out, you're not perfect. But everywhere I've went, pastors, all I've done is said, I'm going to lead and I'm going to serve harder than all of you. I've never been the most talented one. I've been the one that's going to give then and then and then. And I'm going to be there. And I speak prophetically to you and say, now is the time for you to rise up and have vision and dreams for your place and that God would use you in this moment and in this time to raise up the most amazing church. And even though it may not look the same as it was before and it may not even have the numbers in which you thought was all successful, but you will raise up and fulfill Matthew 9, 37 and 38 that declares that the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. You will be a part of that moment that God raises up his ministry men and women that are willing to say, I'm all in. You can have a seat. Are you willing to go there? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to seek after him and pray so that we can hear from heaven? Are we willing to practice the early churches? attributes that changed the world I love what they did because we know that in a moment that we begin to believe that we will see repentance and restoration those are those of you right now somebody can hear my voice maybe it's online and tonight is your night that you can be restored you don't believe you're worthy and I hear I'm here to declare to you you are worthy John 21 Jesus restored Peter did he not and he's here to restore you. Now is your time. Now is your day. I call you, church. I call you to begin expecting. To come in with an expectation. Just like when we were naive teenagers. God's going to show up tonight. And you get excited about it. God's going to be here tonight. And the preacher can preach the worst sermon of all time. But God's going to be here. But it doesn't matter. God's going to show up. How long has it been since you've been in a church service that you believed God was going to show up? It feels like to me, we just kind of hope that he's going to show up. We kind of like playing Russian roulette. Well, I hope God shows up. God wants to show up. The question is, are you going to expect it? And are you going to believe it? I led a house church movement and they understood When we had gatherings together, we could only tell them within three hours of when we were gonna gather because it would have been risking the whole thing. And when we gathered together, the gathering of excitement, you could see it in their face because they were a minority. That's what you're gonna be in a short, short while. And when they gathered, there was incredible excitement, expectation of what God's going to do. And every single time God showed up, and I'm saying, when are we going to do that? When are we going to get desperate enough? Now's our time. Are we desperate? I've only been at the church I'm at for three years. And in that time, the first thing I did is I put altars in. And in that, I said, we're going to begin to teach expectation, we're going to give the Holy Spirit room to move. We're not afraid of him. You follow me? We're not afraid of him. It doesn't all have to be scripted down to the very second of planning center. I drove them crazy. Every single time they go, Pastor, where are we going? I said, well, I'll know when I know. Sounds like you're not ready. I'm ready. But he's the one that's going to lead me. Does this make sense? And so we created this crazy thing to thinking we're going to spend 15 minutes 20 minutes to half hour, that people are gonna do something that's, I don't know about Canada, but America's unheard of. They're gonna come into the service and actually pray before church and start walking through the chairs all in this big sanctuary. And so they're all doing that. And so somebody's leading in worship while they're coming in. So all the guests are coming in and here's what I was teaching them. I'm like, listen, what you're doing is you're preparing the way. You're setting the table. And as you set the table, when you got non-believers, here's here's another pet peeve of mine. I believe this whole consumerism and, and seeker sensitive stuff. What it's done, it's it's seeker sensitive. Helped us as it related to be open to people that are new, but it's also went too far where it's enabled us to be so afraid that if the spirit moves, we think that the unbeliever is going to think that we're wackos and freaks. But that's not biblical. The biblical says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And secondly, I can't save anybody. And all I'm doing is being a part of the divine tapestry of God's Holy Spirit. And if he chooses to fall and it's a little demonstrative and it's a little out of your box, so be it. Because when he shows up, that individual will either run towards God or he'll run away from God. You say all that to say that over the last six months, We are seeing a movement of the Holy Spirit that I would say is a revival. They're not writing about it. We're not promoting it all over. We're just seeing lives changed. Not because I'm preaching. Not because it's because they're believing. Because they're praying. And because they're expecting. What we do in the uh, uh, North American church got these great preachers, this great worship, throw out the best steak ever. See you next week. Like, what the freak are you doing? I mean, like, you just brought it down. Well, we can only go 60, 59 minutes and five seconds. Now I'm stepping on toes, praise the Lord. It's my last night. Well, pastor, we have multiple services. We'll praise God. What I'm telling you is that regardless of what I'm experiencing, is all we're doing is giving the Holy Spirit space. Hundreds and hundreds of people every week. We have to create a whole new ministry because we don't have enough people praying for deliverance and, and healing and all that. People are getting healed. People are getting saved. People are getting delivered every single Sunday. Not because we're special, it's because we're believing, expecting, and praying and saying, God, we're urgent. That's all it is. And when I read scripture, what do I read? That God's not a God of favoritism. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He wants to give it to all of us. I've been so concerned as I, as I'm, as my worldview of Christ is a global because of my experience. I've been saying to the Lord, I think I'm fearful that the Holy Spirit is, is not manifesting in North America because we have put him in a box. And therefore, we, uh, we, we got it all nice and packaged. And therefore, we're seeing amazing outpouring. South of the border, with all of their struggles, we're seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in parts of Asia, and obviously in Africa. Why? Because there's expectation, there's desperation, and there's belief that God can do what he says. Now before you think I'm a wacko and a freak, I don't believe you can manipulate God. I don't believe that you have to somehow chant and scream and holler until you get an emotional moment. But as I say to our church, it doesn't matter. You can sit here very with your head down and do nothing, and you can dance. I don't really care, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We're going to allow people to be who they are. Does this make sense to anybody? So I ask you tonight, he says in verse 7, So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling. You hear it? There was a rattling. I think there's some music songs that kind of quote this verse. Noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves. And at the end result, what does he say in verse 14? And I will put my spirit in you and you will what? Live again and you will return home, then you will know that I am the Lord and that I have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken, so be it. Now that had nothing to do with my notes, but that's my sermon. At least the text was. How do we know when this occurs? There'll be a new hunger for God. There'll be a new hunger for his word. There'll be a new hunger to serve those who hate you and those who disagree with you. That's the radicalness of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We will see those things happening and we will see worship authentically be what it needs to be. So I ask you again, if I told you that tonight was going to be the greatest night in the hundred plus years of this amazing camp and in this tabernacle. Would you be excited for that? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Let me just say this to you. Would you just be in prayer right now? Go ahead, church, start praying. As I try to figure out how I'm to have us respond. Look up this way. Here it is, Gracie Anderson, who's with Jesus. Hold her big Bible. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? I feel it. Joel chapter two, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all peoples, right? All peoples, your sons and daughters, they're gonna prophesy. Your old men, old men, listen up. I'm not there yet. Oh, man, you will dream dreams. Young men, you will see visions. And I say to you tonight, are you hungry for something more than what you've got? You've declared you want to be water walkers. Water walkers is all engrossed with Jesus. That he will do something we can't conjure up. Does this make sense? Would you stand with me? Here's what I want to read. I want to read to you. Psalm 97. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest coastlands be glad. Dark clouds surround him. But righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne fire spreads ahead of him and burns up his foes did you hear me his lightning flashes across the world the earth sees and trembles not because of our church service but because of God and they tremble the mountain melt like wax before the Lord Before the Lord, all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. Every nation will see his glory. Can I get an amen? Here's how we're going to close. I'm to tell you right now, stop being afraid. Fear not. Fear not. He wants to allow his spirit to blow, just like the wind that's blowing now as I speak. And as tomorrow it's supposed to rain physically here. He's wanting his Holy Spirit to rain down upon us, to bring healing to you. Does anybody need healing today in your family? I do. Anybody need healing with your church? Anybody need healing in your city? In our universities? You name it, what do you need? Fear not. He's willing to give us that healing to fall upon us right now. So that's the message you're supposed to have. Now I'm just to allow you to respond the way you're supposed to respond. Are you to come forward and kneel? Are you to kneel in your chairs? Are you to get into groups? So often at these closes, we direct you and we tell you what to do. Why don't we just let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do? Why don't you just respond to His call? So if you need to respond and come forward, kneel. Maybe with your family, He's a unit. Maybe you need to come by yourself. Maybe you need to stand. Maybe you need to sit. But we just, right now, respond any way you need to do, and then we're going to pray. Do you need to stay standing? Do you need to kneel? Do you need to come forward? Church, this is your moment. Go ahead. What do you need to do? When the Spirit of God falls, you won't care what anybody else is doing. You know what you need to do. What do you need to do? Take your posture. Are you desperate enough? Are you hungry enough? Come on, church. What do you need to do? Some of you need to bow your knee in humility, saying, oh God, forgive me. Some of you need to cry out for the miracles that only he can give you. Go ahead, start praying right now. You can pray out loud, it's legal. Go ahead. Come on, seek him while he may be found. Ask him to move in your heart. Ask him to present a revival here and now. Go ahead, church. Send it, Lord. Send it, your spirit to us. Send your spirit to us right now. We seek your face. We need your touch. Hear us, O oh God. We need you. We're desperate for you. Holy Spirit, speak. Your servants are listening. Revive your church. Revive the pastors. In Jesus' name, do a miracle. Provide a miracle right here and right now. Hear our cry. We cry out to you. Here's the last thing the spirit wants. I want every pastor to come up here and stand. Go ahead real quick. Come on now. Stand right here. All the way across. There's a lot of pastors here. right, keep going down through here. I'm going to do something really strange for you. Okay, it'll make you really uncomfortable. You're always the one doing the blessing. Church, now I'm asking you to get up and I want you to come right now I start praying for these pastors. There shouldn't be one pastor without somebody praying for them. Come on, let's be the church. Come on, this is how we're closing. Make sure that every pastor has somebody praying over them. Come on, church, let's go. You work through. Make sure everybody's got somebody. Get some pastors right here that need people to come over go ahead start praying for them come on start praying out loud for your these pastors you don't even need to know their names go ahead as they lead come on church call it out for them Come on, church.